Well, hello and welcome to Finding Our Way, our Southridge Church member podcast designed to give people the inside scoop on life in our church. Here's our host and lead pastor, Jeff Lockyer. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Finding Our Way as we continue in this fall kickoff season uh, to look at some of the strategic areas of focus here at Southridge. And uh, after talking about the idea of integrated missional gatherings with Nate and expanding our capacity to love beyond belief with Mandy, uh, we want to talk about a deliberacy around generational transfer, calling it generational transfer 2.0 because we've done this once before, and want to have that conversation with both someone who is a senior leader uh, around Southridge these days, but also has kind of grown up in, not just in the church, but grown up in leadership uh, from a younger age. So uh, I'm going to say welcome to our Executive Director of Homelessness Services, Annie Froze. Annie, welcome back. Thank you very much. Apparently, it's been a while since we had one of these conversations. It has, but I'm glad to be here. Yeah, excellent. Um, Let's check in first things first, just on how your world is these days. How are things going for you and your household what's happening yeah things are going well um you know john and i are parents to young kids we have a five-year-old and a three-year-old and i think we're in the stage of life where they are the absolute best most sunshine life-giving and hardest thing that we've done so they are both of those things and both of those probably in equal measure so we're loving it and uh yeah it's sometimes a lot but we're loving it that's an extremely busy season of life. I remember it fondly, <laughs> like it was 100 years ago. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have a different I, appreciation for my parents who had five. <laughs> we have two. <laughs> seriously. Um, anything else going on kind of in your world? Vacation coming up? Uh, fun that you had over the summer? Something exciting you want to share? Yeah, I mean, we we don't have any immediate plans for vacation, though I am hoping to get away tomorrow just for a solo day. Um, so that's probably the immediate thing I'm most looking forward to. Uh, no, we had a great summer, though. We definitely soaked in the, the time we had at home. We're really close to our neighbors. They have a pool, so we spent lots of time teaching our kids to swim and just really investing in relationship around our neighborhood, which has been so life-giving and yeah, just really uh, uh, probably the first time we've ever experienced that kind of community right where we live. So that's been really great. That's very fun. Yeah, we experienced some of that too. That's great. Um, we're not going to dig too deep into this today, but give us just kind of an update or a state of the union on how our homelessness services are going in our St. Catharines location these days. Yeah, I mean, I would say our homelessness services are fully up and running. It's it's kind of unique in that our services had no break during the last two and a half years of COVID when lots of things slowed down. We actually probably just got busier and certainly got bigger. And so I think there's probably there's probably pockets that are feeling some tiredness or some kind of need for a break and a refresh. Um, and at the same time, I think we are coming out of that season in a place of really trying to kind of dig down into the core purposes of why we exist and what needs to be tweaked to kind of reclaim some of who we are intended to be and who we desire to be. Um, 
so it's a, I think it feels like a significant season, but a good one. Um, and certainly not in rough shape. So that's how I would articulate that, how we're doing. Yeah. And one of the things that's been, especially in homelessness services, really delightful coming out of the pandemic is to be able to reclaim some of the relational connection and what we call community life. Uh, so I know even the, the community barbecues and, and some of the social programs uh, really have breathed a, a fresh degree of life into the just whole shelter community. I know there's a retreat coming up in a few weeks that you're yep. looking forward to. So I don't know if you want to give a plug on that, but. Yeah, absolutely. So we are looking forward to our reunion retreat. It's October 21st to 23rd. And we're actually, we made a bit of a move. We're going to be at Camp Crossroads uh, for this one. So to do a fall retreat up in Muskoka, we are just so looking forward to that. And it looks like we're going to have a great turnout of kind of this 50-50 blend of people from our community who are invested in one-on-one friendships or are volunteering in different capacities and people who are coming out of an experience of homelessness. And those, I mean, we're on, I believe this is our 13th, um, and they are just the pinnacle of community on display. So we are so pumped for that. And there are still spots. So if you're interested or if you feel like you maybe want to stretch yourself, get a bit out of your comfort zone and engage with us, uh, you can certainly reach out to me, Erica, Nate, Chris Fowler, and we would absolutely love uh, to chat more about that. Fantastic. Certainly one of those, you know, I know as a leadership, we kind of took a step back during the pandemic and just really felt the loss of the the top things in our community that are kind of us at our best. Mm -hmm. And certainly the shelter retreat is one of them to be able to reclaim that after three years is really, really fantastic. So that's, uh, that's super good news. Um, Want to dive in Annie and, and uh, just kind of flesh out some conversation we had at our vision night a couple of weeks ago when we talked about this strategic initiative around generational transfer. So I guess first things first, for people listening, especially leaders from outside of Southridge, what, what do we mean? What is generational transfer? Yeah, so generational transfer, probably one way to describe it is the process of handing over the keys of the business, the keys of the church to the next generation. I mean, I, even in your book, you talk about, you know, when, when a family is looking to pass on their business, their option A is to pass that on to the kids. Um, for us in our uh, church, we just believe that our um, our best way that we can continue to remain fresh and relevant and Jesus-centered is to continue to invest in the next generation, to grow into leadership, and ultimately to take significant roles of leadership uh, to bring our church kind of into the next stage of where we're going. And why does that, I guess, beyond a concept, like why does it actually matter? Who cares if a church engages in generational transfer? What's the point? What's the advantage? Why, why, why does this even matter? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important um, as one of the things we can do to ensure that our church isn't aging out of vibrancy, isn't aging out of relevance to the younger generation. I think it's really important um, as one of the ways that we ensure that our church isn't limited to the leadership or to the experience, to the knowledge of just a single generation or a single demographic. Um, so we see that for sure in general, generational tra- leadership, uh, sorry, generational transfer. We also see that in looking to become, um, you know, how men and women can parent differently and better together. And so it's one of the ways that we can ensure that we are not um, only benefiting from the leadership and the experience 
of everything that was in the past. Yeah, there's, there, I mean, you can hire out new people, hire out fresh people, uh, but there's, there's, I would say a couple of things. There, there's something familial about the church. Church isn't just, you know, an institution, an organization, some might say an organism. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a family. And family has an intergenerational dynamic that if you look at the scriptures, it talks about the continuation of the work of the work of God from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. And that's really the spirit behind it. It's not just, uh, you know, you're talking about uh, not wanting to age out and getting fresh perspectives and all those things are part of the point and certainly of value. The, probably the biggest value is just the continuity of the work of God in a from generation to generation kind of a way. And that has captivated us over the years, kind of inspired us and uh, something that, that kind of drives us moving forward. And I guess, you know, another reason that specific to Southridge is the fact that we've experienced this once before and experienced the power of it when a generation of leaders kind of purposed formally to hand the keys of the family business over to the kids. And I know that you personally weren't part of that originally 25 years ago, but as a senior leader around here today, you were a product at one point of this generational transfer value. So can you think back to kind of the early days of your ministry experience here at Southridge and just describe even from the very beginning, your entry into local church ministry and leadership here at Southridge? Yeah, I mean, I sometimes look back or think back and am a little bit surprised um, as to how I ended up or how I'm in the role that I'm in, because I I don't know that I ever plugged in with this aspiration to be a church leader. I personally got involved as a volunteer while I was going to Brock University um, in the shelter. So the shelter launched in April of 20. 20- 2005. And by September of 2005, my sister and I had started volunteering and just found something really compelling about that. We needed to be around more and needed to just plug in. We needed to know people. It felt like kind of this vacuum uh, for probably most specifically me. And so as I was, I think it was the day that I wrote my last exam, um, I came straight to work and started working full time. I had been doing some night shifts kind of while I was finishing up my my last couple of courses. And in those first years, really found myself in a variety of roles. I, I remember thinking, I feel like my, my job is changing all the time. And in hindsight, that's probably because, you know, the system that I was in was actually entrusting me with more and it wasn't scattered. It was just growing. Though in the moment, I, I remember feeling like, I think my job's just changing a lot. Um, but as I look back, you know, that perspective of kind of, you know, reflecting on in the past, um, there was definitely a pivot in the kind of roles that I was engaged in from doing tasks to really more of this responsibility language. I'm responsible for these things to get done rather than these tasks to be accomplished. Um, and that was probably some of the key pivots for me in my experience. What were some of the early responsibilities that you awakened to like, oh, I'm it here all of a sudden, as opposed to just kind of pitching in and like you said, contributing at a, at a, at a task level? Yeah. So I was involved on the floor 
um, which meant I was kind of directly responding to resident needs um, in the operations of the shelter. And then I moved into coaching, um, which at that time was these one-on-one -on -one meetings with uh, residents to work on their plans and their next steps. And then I started doing that only part-time and this was a big shift for me. And I started taking on some of the volunteer engagement uh, for our St. Catharines location. As we were launching different locations, I kind of let go of coaching that was about, you know, making sure I got to each of my people on a, the basis that, or the frequency of meeting that I needed to talk to all of them. And it became more about engagement of our three locations into the anchor causes of those locations, right? And so rather than, there was no one telling me, you have to make sure that you get X many volunteers or you have to do these four activities that is going to result in this many people understanding the value of action for our church. It was, I think it was, I called at that point, missional engagement. And I remember my role being like, oh, this is the first time I have a job where I'm not exactly sure what I'm supposed to do when I show up the next day. And those were some of those feelings of this is more responsibility-based than task-based. Would you say that there was a single moment or instance outside of what you're describing right now where you kind of knew for sure what your day was going to look like to all of a sudden, oh, I don't know what my day is going to look like. Was there a moment along there where you all of a sudden sort of awakened to, whoa, I'm a leader around here. I'm not, I'm not just contributing as a younger person to this. I'm actually a leader on whose shoulders the future of this community, this ministry rests. Yeah, I mean, I remember... Um, and I believe this conversation happened many times, but I remember having a conversation with a volunteer where they were unhappy with something that was happening around here and talking a lot about they, you know, the church is doing this, they as in leadership is doing this and feeling this sense of they is me and in beginning to kind of shift into that side of the conversation. Hey, when you're talking about they, like I'm part of that and I want to hear that, but I also want to have that conversation feeling the full weight of your feedback and feeling the responsibility of responding. And I remember that conversation, I was, oh my goodness, I think I was 21 years old um, and feeling like there is no they that's responsible for this and is going to kind of, that I can go to and dump this on. They is me. <laughs> yeah. For people listening, especially for Southridge members, like it's, it's fascinating to, to take a step back and realize that, that kind of awareness and that kind of identity and that kind of posture of responsibility, that's possible in a 21-year-old. That a 21-year-old can be around enough and involved enough and, and assuming and bearing and, and developing in responsibility enough to, to adopt that posture and to, to kind of play that role from that perspective. And so it's, it's those kinds of pictures, the 21-year-old, even the 18-year-old, Annie DeRoss at the time, who becomes the <laughs> Annie Froze that now, I don't know, how, how long have you been on staff, Annie? 12, 15 years? Yeah, 15 years this fall. Yeah, like who now is a senior leader, executive director of homelessness services. I, I guess looking back, what would you say in the generational transfer process helped you most as a younger leader develop as a leader? What contributed to your kind of catalytic journey? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's probably things that 
that did that I'm still kind of reflecting on even years later. Um, but the couple of things that have kind of cemented for me and have become part of how I lead now would be maybe these things. I think number one, I regularly was led by someone who consistently believed I could do more than I thought I could do. I, I was led by someone who would consistently count me in the mix um, rather than counting me out. And that had a massive, um, that had a, that played a massive role for me. I think a big part of that um, was that this person didn't just give me jobs. Certainly, I mean, he was my supervisor, so he did. Um, but he also engaged in conversation where there was teaching and there was correcting when necessary. There was um, honest feedback um, and specifically, I remember one conversation with my leader at the time who said he did not want to be surrounded by yes people. And it was this active invitation uh, for me to bring the fullness of who I am and what I thought and believed and saw and was responsible for into the decisions that were being made. Um, that It was beautifully invitational and it was also freeing for me. I remember thinking, oh my goodness, like, I'm not here just to implement things. I'm actually here to participate in the collaborative process of moving this forward. Um, that was really significant for me. So now <laughs> as a senior leader, what's it like to be in the first generation seat and be leading younger leaders and contributing, and especially this year trying to contribute more formally, to this process of empowering a next generation of emerging leaders. Yeah, I mean, we've we've used that language of responsibility already. Um, that responsibility is something that I feel really deeply. I feel responsibility to pass on what was given to me. I want our ministry and our church to grow younger and to grow in the responsibility that it requires to take on that leadership. Um, I think for me, I, I, I have processed what changes were happening in me as I was growing and developing and how that was um, kind of promoted and um, even how that was invested in by the leadership structure at the time. It's not something that we take lightly. You know, I, I don't ever want to be in the way or be a reason that we're not growing younger. And so when I think about how I approach leadership uh, for the people who report directly to me, um, you know, I, I think in the past I maybe would have um, tried to just model the leadership that I was given. And a significant shift for me over the last couple of years has been to be more responsive to the people who are reporting to me, um, to take more of a how can I actually give you what you need? And what you need is going to be different than how I can give this person what they need, even if they're in a similar stage of life, right? So of the people who are around me, um, I would focus on invitation. I would focus on paying attention to the stage of life that they're in and know that that plays a massive role in uh, the leader that they are around here. You know, answering those questions that are so pivotal as we you know, grow up. And if we were on video, you would see me use the air quotes around grow up. But that was a, a big part of what happened for me in those early years. You know, those questions of who am I and what's my role and what's my true north? What are the values that I make these decisions on? Who am I and what do I believe apart from the family that I've recently come uh, from living with? 
to kind of becoming my own. Um, and so paying attention to that stage of life for the young leaders who report to me is it's something that's been informed by my own journey. Hmm. Yeah, it's amazing how, on the one hand, common leadership development is, especially among a generation or with an emerging generation, and at the same time, how customized it is. Mm -hmm. And for Southridge members listening, especially emerging gen listening, as well as leaders from other churches that, that, that track with these conversations, like to, to, to look at your leadership development and to look at your, uh, especially your generational transfer, your emerging gen engagement from the perspective of what is common to many and what is customized to each individual person, I think is, is really key. Um, along those lines, I guess I want to tap into you specifically in this conversation, Annie, not just because you were a younger leader that emerged and now is uh, developed and evolved into a senior leader, but because you run a ministry that is really key in our local church's generational transfer process. I guess, why is the, the homelessness services and our shelter and all of the ministries related to the shelter kind of so conducive? And, and so effective in a lot of ways at engaging young adults these days. Why is that a draw for emerging gen leaders? Yeah, I think, I think the work is engaging in and of itself. I think it's relevant. I think that young people want to do meaningful work, and I think they want to be involved in doing their part or even more to solve the issues of the day. Um, I think that our young people are driven by values that though might might be similar might also be different from the guiding values of previous generations. You know, I think traditionally the church is about looking in and kind of church family first and I think young people are driving this, you know, look out what role is the church intended to be to the community and to the watching world. What does it look like for our church to be fully Jesus-centered? Um, and how does that drive ministry? And I think that's a really compelling and really engaging uh, journey for young people. I also think that, um, I mean, some of our, our young people are, are kind of establishing a new standard even on what social responsibility looks like. So to be able to engage in the playground of the shelter or homelessness services, um, I think it's compelling because of the work. I think it's also compelling because there are opportunities, right? It's there's something that's beautifully imperfect about our ministry that I think feels sometimes a little bit more invitational than how people can maybe break into something that that looks from the outside like it's really all settled and, and running really smoothly. Those are all great comments. And I hope that as leaders listening, we're taking notes on that to say, okay, these are some of the features of what disproportionately can draw and, and help track uh, with emerging gen leaders to engage them in the in in the process of kingdom and ministry related leadership development. Uh, along those lines, Annie, you know you are part of our senior leadership team uh, here at the church. This has become one of our strategic initiatives. I would say, from your perspective, like to better engage in this process this year, what are you feeling we need to do more of, or less of, and or do differently to fan the flame of this to a greater degree? Yeah, I think there's a there's probably a couple of ideas that I have. I mean, we've had some conversations. I think one is to acknowledge that young adults, young leaders are really passionate about specific things. And I think sometimes seeking out that passion, so how that passion can work with 
with what our church exists to be and to do um, can create opportunity for people. And I think that that customized approach of, hey, pairing up passion with opportunity or how passion can become opportunity, I think is a really great way of being engaging uh, for the next generation. I think um, probably another thing that I've just been feeling personally and for our team is I think that we need to lean into equipping uh, young leaders more. I was in some conversations um, last fall actually with a church out in Alberta that engages an apprenticeship model uh, for some key roles. And uh, I just found that compelling. And so I've worked that into my rally cry for this year. You know, who is the next person who's going to be in my role? And maybe that's not two years from now, but that person should already be on my radar. And how are there ways that I can begin to engage in some of the process? Not that they can learn how to do my job long in advance, but how do they begin to adopt a parental or responsibility-minded approach uh, to what we do? How do they begin to understand this role that can sometimes feel like such a social justice or a social service kind of role? How, do, how can they begin to understand this role as ministry? Because it really is marrying that social service with ministry. And so though that's not an immediate handoff, I should absolutely have that on my radar and be building in uh, this idea of apprenticeship into the leaders who are popping up all across our department. Yeah, the, the experience being the best teacher, when you talk about your own journey, uh, you know, there, there certainly were investments that people made, events that you attended, you know, books that you've read, and certainly you've taken a, a responsibility for your own leadership development to do those things and surround yourself with people and environments, whatever. But the, the, the learning by doing power in your story and in the way that you're viewing uh, generational transfer and engaging emerging leaders these days is significant. And that's, that's absolutely one of, the, one of the key, I would say, features of this initiative this year is to try to figure out how to do that to a greater degree. Anything else that you're thinking of as far as do more, do less of, do differently? Um, I probably, I mean, I don't know where this fits in all of those, um, but I do feel like there's something, maybe it's a do differently. I feel like there's something about continuing to paint the picture of generational transfer, whether that's through things like this, various conversations, and really that that generational transfer is responsibility based and it's parental and it's, you know, you talk about um, the examples where leader, biblical leadership uh, is about not like refusing uh, to allow God to be a joke. If we're teaching into those things, um, one of the things I think that would naturally come out of that is asking this emerging group of young leaders, what does it look like to support you in those things? Hmm. Right? Because I, th I think that one of the key elements of generational transfer is that it's reciprocal in nature. And so it's not only about us handing over the reins, but it's actually also about people who are emerging into those roles who are wanting to play a reciprocal role in their own growth and development. And so I think asking that question, painting the picture and asking, hey, what does that look like? How do you, how do you, what do you know about yourself right now where you know that you're going to need investment or equipping in this? Um, and I'd be just really curious that the responses that we get. I like I like the consultation of the other person uh, because part of the generational transfer process presumes that new wine is going to require new wineskins, 
mm -hmm. right? New wine is going to require. So meaning they're going to want to engage in different things. They might want to engage in them differently. They might require different things than you think that they require. And understanding from their perspective what they need uh, and that it will be pr probably different than what you needed uh, is, a, is a key piece of that as well. So uh, I guess as we wrap up, Annie, you know, looking ahead to the coming year, like where do you see this going where do you see us making the greatest gains or, you know, are there specific initiatives that you see stimulating greater degrees of, of generational transfer? Maybe more importantly, as a, as a whole church, what do you feel like this is going to require from all of us at a community-wide level? Yeah, I think there's lots of places where we're seeing um, kind of this, uh, these beginnings of these flourishing leaders who are getting some playground space, um, to explore and to play and through that process to learn and to grow and develop. So I feel really optimistic about this for uh, for our coming season. I think the fact that it fits into the rally cry for our church, we're determined to grow younger. And I think to, to call that, to make it known, to make it public and to actively invite uh, people to the process, but also to invite accountability around that, I think is really, really important for us. You know, if I'm thinking about what it's going to take from our church, um, I think it's going to require some buy-in, of course. It's going to require uh, that we collectively are into that. And sometimes it means that we are, um, I mean, a lot of the times, and overall, it's going to mean that we get better. I think there are going to be moments where we are giving ups to various people, where we're going to prefer the former and we're choosing to lean into to what looks like the future. Um, and that will require buy-in from all of us. I think that it also requires a willingness for all of us to embrace the way forward, right? Generational transfer is about leading something forward. And that requires obviously letting go to all of the specifics of how we wanted things to be done. And sometimes that requires a bit of a, a surrender of comfort, um, but it's for something better. And I think, I mean, going back to your first comment, I had actually written on my notes as well. We care so much about this because it is one of the core and most significant ways that we've seen God's faithfulness on display. And so that should be part of the invitation for the all-in buy-in and commitment for our church to be excited about what's coming. I liked your comment about how as mutual and, has, and ha as reciprocal as intergenerational ministry is, generational transfer does have a default view to the future more than the past. Mm -hmm. And for all of us, and even for leaders listening, uh, it does require that default to embrace, no, this is about moving forward and it's about the future more than it is about preserving traditions and past ways of doing things and the status quo. And so it, it, it certainly requires some, some stomach and some, some willingness for that. Uh, Annie, as we wrap up, any final encouragements or challenges either to our Southridge members and leaders or to other leaders listening or both uh, when it comes to becoming this younger expression of Jesus as a community in this coming season? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would just say even part of my own devotions lately has been this reminder, this encouragement um, that ultimately the church and Christ's church is option A, if it's option A for the world. Um, and so that to me 
comes with this deep responsibility to make it as life-changing, as world-changing of a force as we can. And so for what that means for you, if that if that feels like conviction to being more all in in full engagement, if that feels like a conviction to have an open mind, if that feels like a conviction to a Jesus-centeredness where maybe that's strayed, that would be the encouragement that we just full force embrace those things because the work that we're doing is really important. <laughs> Which has way less to do with generational transfer and way more to do with just living a Jesus-centered life and faith in community as a we. And yeah. uh, I really appreciate you getting us to that point. Uh, Annie, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Probably won't be five years until we are, are back in conversation again, but uh, thanks for checking in. And uh, to all of you who are listening, thanks for tracking with us again this week. We'll see you in about seven days time as we continue finding our way together. Take care, everybody. Thank you.